0: Thanks for choosing this podcast for the BJSM community. And it's a great pleasure to speak with Professor Alison Pollock from Newcastle University. She's a professor of public health, which means she doesn't have the traditional sports medicine background, and that's allowed her to raise some challenging questions. And we'll get straight into that. Alison, you're the director of the Institute of Health and Society, and I think you're worried about the health of a group of our society right now. So
1: rugby is a collision sport just like ice hockey, and what we know from the studies, a few studies there have been, is that collision sports have much higher rates of injury than non-collision sports, including football and basketball. And we also know that rugby, from the few studies have been, has the highest rates of concussion, higher rates of general injury, than any other sport in children. So that's the first thing. It's a collision sport with very high rates and much higher rates of injury than non-collision sports. The second thing is understanding your risk of injury. So if you're a child playing over the course of the season, you have about a one in four chance of being injured, having any injury at all. So 28 percent, one in four chance. And if you um, and when we look at injuries that require at least a week away from play, then you have a one in eight chance of being injured in a season and requiring a week away from play.
0: And you really focus on schools rather than community rugby, and why is that?
1: Well, we're focusing on schools because that's where governments can intervene. Schools and governments have a special duty of care to children to respect, protect and fulfil and keep them from harm of injury. What we're arguing is that governance of the school game should be very, very different from the community game and from the professional game. And so what we're saying is that schools really and the government really need to take charge of the school game and protect children from unnecessary harm and the dangerous elements, collision elements. And that means having different rules in the school game, different laws from those that apply in the professional game. And the reason why we're calling for a change in the laws is because three-quarters of all the injuries occur during the tackle and collision phase of the game. So it makes sense to remove the collision elements because that's where injuries are occurring.
0: As someone who isn't familiar in the UK schools context, are we talking about compulsory sport or optional after-school
1: activity? Well, most children go to state schools but there are also a big uh, private school sector. And what we were surprised to find in a survey of um, comprehensive of state schools as well as private schools, that the schools are making it compulsory and some schools would take disciplinary action against the student who refused to play or parents who refused to consent. Now, that's a very great concern, no no sport should be compulsory, there should be choice for children, and that is actually going against the, their, the, the children's rights, the rights of the child. And indeed, we're very interested that the children's commissioners in Wales have also stated that in their view, children should always be given a choice of sport, and no sport should be made compulsory. What we're finding in England is that many schools, state schools, um, are making rugby compulsory And there is no choice, and that is partly, of course, because of under-resourcing of schools.
0: And Alison, before I wear that, that devil's advocate hat, which is the one saying you're ruining the inherent element of rugby, let's just tell the listener what age group you're targeting when you say you're focusing on schools.
1: Well, we're really looking at all the age groups where contact is introduced and that varies hugely from contact being introduced at the age of 9 or 10 or 12 and 13. There is no set age for contact being introduced into schools in the United Kingdom. And so what we're saying is remove contact, the tackle elements of the game from the school game at all ages.
0: Now you've heard this before, so what did you write in the BMJ when you dealt with this and in your other many fora where you've brought this issue up and people say, Alison, it's like having cricket without cricket balls, you know, rugby without tackling doesn't make sense.
1: Well, I think if we put the child first and the interests of the child first, then we won't need to worry. At the moment, the problem is we're putting the interests of the professional game before the interests of the child. But actually, there are lots of variations on rugby. Indeed, children play those variations outside of the uh, organized game, such as tag rugby and touch rugby. In fact, when you take the rugby out of the organized, uh, stop being organized, then children spontaneously play touch rugby, and they will adapt and change the rules. So what we're saying is adapt and change the rules to fit in with the needs of the child and put the child first, and don't worry so much about the professional game and the corporate culture, because most of these children will never go on to play rugby after the age of 18, they give up, and very few of these children will ever become, a few hundred at the most, will ever uh, make it into the professional game. Whereas we're talking about hundreds of thousands of children playing who will never play again after the age of 18 and will never become professional players.
0: What's your take on community rugby, a child playing in a club as a 15 year old?
1: Well, clearly, one of the things we'd like to see is better injury data and monitoring, but if parents and children feel very strongly, then of course they are f- quite at liberty to pay, play community rugby. but our focus has to be on the school game where most of the rugby games and matches are actually taking place, especially with the government's new initiative to push through collision sport out to a million children um, a million school children in schools across the UK.
0: So you're a professor of public health and so this is a great strong suit for you. So you're saying this isn't a great public health policy then?
1: No, it's a, this is a catastrophic um, public health policy from a child's perspective and indeed from many parents' perspective if they were given the information. And that is exactly why we wrote to the chief medical officers of England, Scotland, Wales and, and Ireland to ask them to review the evidence and to advise ministers both in the Department of Education and the Department of Health to take steps to act on the evidence and remove the collision elements from the school game.
0: And that was published widely in the press, and then there was a BJSM story about it and some debate. Can you summarise where you're at with that moving forward for the BJSM listener?
1: So, we wrote to the chief medical officers uh, in March 2016, and they finally responded at the height of the female rugby um, uh, Olympics uh, tournament, uh, in which they um, had set up a physical activity expert group. Unfortunately, that physical activity expert group was evidence light, it didn't review any evidence, and it simply expressed the opinions of the people on the panel. And no data was reviewed um, and no data were provided. And the only study um, that was cited um, by the chief medical officers was a critique published by World Rugby, which purported to critique our systematic review. So then what we had to do was we set about looking at the opinions of the physical activity expert group, and we responded to the critique of World Rugby, which was subsequently published by the British Journal of Sports Medicine, and we actually reanalyzed some of our systematic review and found exactly the same findings. We did more detailed analysis. We still found very high rates and risks of injury, so we were able to stand by that paper And then we resubmitted both our detailed critique, a 30-page critique, of the Physical Activity Expert Group's opinions. We updated the literature on concussion and risks of injuries, showing that now the evidence is increasing and more compelling to remove the tackle from the child's game. And as a result of that, we wrote again to the chief medical officers, and I went in to see them in mid-September.
0: Can you share with us what happened in that September 2017 meeting, Alison?
1: Yes, it's very unfortunate that people conflate the benefits of physical activity, which are well established, with um, collision sports. And what they claim is that if you play a collision sport like rugby, you then get um, very fit and it reduces uh, your risks of obesity. What we know is that physical activity is very, very good and very important for children. What we don't know is whether rugby gives additional benefits uh, over physical activity like running or um, swimming uh, um, and also what we do know is that there are considerable harms. So actually, nobody has looked at the benefits and the harms of rugby compared with um, non-collision sports and physical activities like riding your bicycle, for example.
0: Alison, one specific question I have is about rugby sevens, which is clearly different to traditional bigger rugby. Would rugby sevens be okay in your book?
1: There haven't been very many studies looking at rugby sevens, but the issue is the collision elements. So where collision elements are retained, one would expect to see in in rugby sevens the same rates and risks of injuries.
0: And before we close, Alison, you've shared your concerns about injuries overall. Um, but what about a moment where we focus on concussion because it is such a big topic?
1: Yes is a big topic and there's a lot of evidence emerging not just about the short term but in association with long-term harms so in this short-term, we know that children can have serious impairment with their day-to-day life, especially with educational learning and attainment. So concussion can be associated with headaches, with fits, with visual impairment, and also with cognitive deficit. And that can take some time for the child to recover, and that's very well established. In the longer term, of course, the jury is still out, but we have to be concerned about the association between repeat concussion and subconcussive events with other neurological disorders including dementia now these are only associations at the moment and the jury is still out but of course any parent will be very concerned to protect their child from both the short term and the long term harms and of course concussion is now a major cause of injury both in the professional and the community game, and game. it can account for anything uh, about 10% of all injuries and it's riding up the league table to be one of the major, um, major injuries now in the professional and community game. So all parents will want to take steps to protect their children from harm and we have to keep the child at the heart of everything which means if we're acting in the child's interests, we're going to remove the tackle and collision elements from the game.
0: I've read in your work about the World Health Organisation Rights of the Child and you referred to that before but without that label. Can you just give us a sentence or two on the importance of that call?
1: Yes, the United Nations, the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child is a really important one because it places a duty on governments uh, and parents um, and all guardians of children to respect, protect and fulfil the rights of the child And that also means taking all necessary steps to prevent children from being injured and from being placed at risk of injury.
0: There are folks who say, yes, we appreciate there are risks, but we can mitigate them in certain ways with protective equipment or other behaviours.
1: Well, we know that protective equipment such as mouth guards really work. They um, protect the teeth but what we we do also know is that there's no evidence that helmets and headgear prevent concussion or head injury or head trauma. Similarly, there's no evidence that extra training or coaching or fair play rules actually improves the outcomes in terms of uh, reducing injuries so there's very little evidence for anything actually working so all these initiatives that are being rolled out there is really no evidence for even the concussion initiatives about management of concussion is about secondary prevention it's not about preventing the injury from happening and that's what we really need to focus on now one of the other initiatives that is being rolled out by the rugby football union is pre-exercise activity but there again the evidence is either non-existent or incredibly weak based on just a small trial with seven schools where you need to do pre-exercise activity three times a week. Most schools could not do that and could not implement it. So really there's no evidence around all of these other initiatives and um, uh, to justify rolling them out And the RFU would be much better for rolling out data monitoring and feedback and removing the collision elements from the game.
0: On the subject of mitigating risk, it makes me think about the Canadian hockey study, ice hockey, where Professor Carolyn Emery from the IOC Research Centre at the University of Calgary has had some great intervention research that I'm sure you're aware of.
1: Yes, this is a very important intervention study because it shows it does work when you take out collision elements and that what they discovered was that was a 67 percent reduction in concussion risk since rule changes disallowing body checking and contact with the puck and that was uh, an intervention that was introduced in youth ice hockey where there were great concerns about the very high rates and risks of injury during the collision phase there's
0: a lot of powerful information there and have got a large body of research and you're a major player in the field, so it behooves everyone to listen to these concerns. If you're going to summarise in two minutes to finish, what would you say?
1: Well, I'd want to inform parents, uh, teachers, coaches, and children. It's very important that parents and children understand the real risks and rates of injury. Rugby is a collision sport. The rates and risks of injury are very high. And um most, in, and most injuries, three quarters of all injuries, are occurring during the collision phase of the game. If you remove the collision aspects, including the tackle, then you will make this game a much safer game for school children to play. They can still enjoy it, it'll be a different sort of rugby, but it'll be a very enjoyable game. And that's what all parents and coaches and teachers ultimately want, is a safe and enjoyable game for children to play.
0: Thanks very much, Alison. You're listening to Professor Alison Pollock from Newcastle University. The issue of injury rates in rugby and potential injury rates in tackling is a controversial issue, and you'll find key papers in BJSM on that and on the BJSM blurb associated with the podcast. I encourage you to share the podcast with your friends and share the use of the BJSM app, which is a very easy and free way to listen to BJSM podcasts and access a tonne of free BJSM content. Thanks for listening today and have an active day.